Very good morning to you all and a happy Easter to you too. My name is uh, Ken Matthews and I'm uh, the minister here at the church. If we haven't met uh, yet, then, um, well, that's my loss, I'm sure, and I hope I get the chance to say hi to you later on. Now, I'm hoping uh, that uh, the kids on their way in uh, got a chance to get one of these little fun sheets. If you didn't, then that could be really helpful for you over the next 20 minutes or so. So put your hand up now if you didn't get one and, um, and the stewards will come around and give you one. Um, and if you can't find a pen, then hopefully you will find a pen in the pocket of the chair in front of you. If there's not one in that pocket, really sorry about that. Maybe have a little rummage around along the row and see if um, you can manage to find one there. Now, in those uh, fun sheets, there's various different challenges for the kids to do. But uh, first one is for all of us uh, to do. Going to do a little living or dying quiz, all right? Uh, so I'm going to go around the room uh, showing you various different objects, and I want you to decide whether you think they're living or dying. Okay, here's the, here's the first one. We've got this beautiful flower arrangement um, here on the communion table, uh, done as usual by, uh, by Crystal Hicks. Uh, shout out to Crystal. Thanks so much for the flowers you do in the church. Uh, what do you think, though? They look gorgeous, don't they? But are they living or are they dying? What do you think? Hands up if you think they're living. Hands up if you think they're dying. Yes, sadly. Sadly, they look amazing. But as soon as they were clipped out of uh, the flowers, out of the ground, they started dying. They're cut off from their life source. Okay, next up, we've got chocolate Easter egg that my wife uh, um, uh, gave me uh, this morning. Um, says that this one is made from cocoa uh, milk, uh, dark chocolate, milk chocolate coated biscuit bowls. Looking forward to them. Um, uh, yeah, flavorings, whatever that is. But anyway, the question is, question is, what do you think? Living or dying? Hands up for living. Hands up for dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very soon it will be well and truly dead. I don't think this baby's going to last the afternoon, do you? Um, it looks just too yummy. It's got all kinds of ingredients, I think, that were growing at one time. But... They're not anymore, and so it's dying. Okay, finally, actually, here we go. Here's my final one. This branch. What do you think? Living or dying? Dying. It really, it's, such a, it's, been, it's been here, actually, since Friday, so it really looks like it's, looks like it's dying, doesn't it? Here, let me tell you a little story about this branch, okay? It's, a story, it's, it's actually a made-up story, so you'll have to use your imagination, okay? Just... Um, uh, imagine this, this branch, it was in a tree, attached to the tree, and one day it says to the tree, it says, tree, thanks for everything you've done for me, but that's it, I'm off. And it wriggles, and this is where you really have to use your imagination, it wriggles, <laughs> and it gets itself loose from the tree. And then it, um, it has this wonderful feeling of, of, of freedom as it falls from the tree, and then it hits the ground. Now, what is it? What is this branch now? What do you think? Think about it. What is it? It's not a branch. It's a stick. It's not a branch anymore at all. It had been a branch. It had been growing when it was a branch. And it, had, it had been producing fruit. And it had, been, um, uh, it had a future. But now, it's dead. Nothing but a stick. It's dying. And the message of Easter is, be a branch, not a stick. Now, I know that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? It does sound a little bit weird, so, so stick with me uh, here. Um, because 
the night before Jesus died, he said this to his followers. He said, in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, I'm the vine, I'm the tree, if you like, and you're the branches. And if you stay connected to me, then you will bear fruit. You'll, you'll have a future. You can, you can do anything almost. But if you cut yourself off from me, you can do nothing. And folks, that is what Jesus' closest followers experienced that day in John 21 that we read about earlier on in the service. And we're going to look at now. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see it? In verses 1 to 3, Jesus' disciples spend a miserable night without Jesus. That's the first of three things that I want to highlight here. Kids, see if you can write them down on your sheets as we go through them. Verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Best day ever. What are the disciples up to now? These guys have seen Jesus risen from the dead twice. Imagine that. You tend to think the emotional graph of Easter weekend goes a little bit like this. So Monday, uh, Thursday, there's this confusion. Jesus says he's going to be betrayed and handed over, and then he is. And then you've got Good Friday, where he... Uh, it's sadness, horrible, horrible sadness because Jesus is dead. It's rock bottom. And then, but then there's Easter Sunday, isn't there? Joy and expressible joy is off the chart because Jesus is risen and they all live happily ever after. Is that what we see here in John 21? Isn't it interesting that even after the disciples have seen the risen Christ, they're still so confused. Still not sure what to do. Not sure how to respond to the resurrection. And so they go back to doing what they used to do before Jesus pitched up. They go, they go fishing. Peter's such a fidget, isn't he? He always is. He can't sit still for a minute. So he goes, uh, I've got to do something. I'm going fishing. And the others hang out with him. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're, we're coming with you. Let's, let's do it. So you can almost imagine them getting the old, get, dusting out the old boat again, getting the old boat back into action oh yes yeah, it's, it's hard to control a boat when it's only one of them but there's seven of them um, and then you know getting the old nets uh, ready for a, a night fishing and uh, and off they launch don't they but what do we read in verse three they went out go into the boat and that night they caught nothing they spend the night catching nothing now if you know anything about john's gospel you'll know that Night is significant. People who don't get it hide in the darkness or they come at night. And here are the disciples at night in the darkness of their confusion and misunderstanding, doing the one thing that they think they're good at, <laughs> and they can't even do that. They can do nothing. And I wonder if those words of Jesus from a few nights previously were going round and round in their head. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For here they are in a boat without Jesus and they are achieving nothing. It's such an incredibly vivid picture of their powerlessness without Jesus. 
Folks, I think that we can relate completely to Peter and his gang. Life is so confusing, isn't it? So frustrating. Often we find ourselves in situations where we just don't know what to do. And, and we are frustrated by life. We're frustrated by ourselves, by our failure. And, and so we, we throw ourselves into things and we do something, anything, to kind of fill the gap. And, and, and life can be full at points. It can be joyous and, and happy and feels like we're achieving something. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, without Jesus... We're in the dark at night. Life is like fishing and catching nothing. So easy to think that we can make life work on our own, isn't it? We think that if we're overloaded and busy, then God will understand if we never turn to him and ask him to guide us and and make our lives what they were made to be. But Jesus says that whatever is done like that amounts to nothing in the end. That's where the story starts branches cut off from Jesus sticks in a boat powerless to catch anything but look what happens next secondly a miracle bursting with hope verse 4 says this it says just as day was breaking now now stop don't skim over that do you feel it all night long they've been fishing and catching nothing and nothing and nothing but just as day was breaking There's hope even in that phrase, isn't there? The darkness of the night is about to give way to the light of a brand new day. And so we read, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now that's a powerful word, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus speaks and suddenly the emptiness of the nets, they become, they become full. It's not, like, it's not like he just catches one or two. You know, they get lucky and they've got a little handful. No, the net is bursting with fish. It's massive, this miracle that Jesus does. The presence of the risen Jesus changes everything. The darkness of the night, the futility of the fishing, the catching of the nothing, but suddenly, Jesus turns up just as day was breaking and it transforms everything. And you know, I think John actually, as he's writing here, he, uh, John knew his Bible really well, so I think he's got in the back of his mind <laughs> something from the Old Testament. As 600 years earlier, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 47, God speaks to his type, people at a time when <laughs> They were, um, they'd been cut off from him. They were a branch who had become a stick, if you like. They were in a place of darkness and death in exile. But God gives Ezekiel this vision, a day in the future, when the salt waters of the Dead Sea will suddenly become fresh and will teem with life. So much so that it says fishermen will stand beside the sea and catch netfuls of fish. Hmm. Rings a bell, doesn't it? As you get to John 21. God has promised a day when his dead, dark, dying people, their death will be turned to life. Emptiness will be turned to abundance. Their darkness will be turned to light. And on that day, the fishermen stood where? Ezekiel 47 verse 10. On the shore of the sea. Where is Jesus standing in John 21? Verse 4 again. 
Jesus stood on the shore. That vision that Ezekiel saw, it starts here as Jesus stands on the shore and brings in a vast abundance of fish. John is saying, in this man Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, here is the one who's going to bring about these death to life, empty to full, darkness to light promises of God. What a moment. What a moment. You ever had a long night? You just can't sleep. <laughs> just tossing and turning there. And you know, it gets to the point where it's just been going on so long. It's almost like you just you think, oh, just, just let the morning come. And then you, then you see that little crack through the curtains, the light streaming through. And you can feel the warmth of the sun in the air. And though there's still bits of darkness around, you know it's coming. Light always wins. Every bit of darkness will be gone because the light is rising. Well, in the resurrection of Jesus, he is the sunrise. He is the light dawning in the dark world. We're still waiting, of course, for the full light of day. We still live in a world where there is, there is lots of darkness around it, isn't it? Maybe you feel that really intently this morning. But the sun has risen. And so every patch of darkness, every single act of evil will one day be removed. Folks, this is why the resurrection matters. Because it tells us that death is dead and life wins. And if that day in John 21 was good, then, then think of a day when Jesus returns and the sun fills the sky and all darkness is chased away. Think of a day when all emptiness is filled, all frustration ended, and death is no more. And there on the banks of the Lake Galilee, Jesus' disciples, they just caught a glimpse of that second coming of Jesus. As the fishermen stood on the shore and brought in this massive catch of fish. It's a miracle. Bursting with hope. But look what happens next. As thirdly and finally, we've got a model of failure to follow. So Peter's crew, they're busy with the nets, trying to wrestle, wrestle them in, and they're, they're struggling so much because they're they're bursting. Um, when all of a sudden one of them you spots and realizes that this shady figure giving out kind of impromptu fishing tips is actually the Lord. It's Jesus. Now you've got to watch Peter here. Watch him. Watch him go. Verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. (laughs) What a strange thing for a grown man to do. Why on earth do you think he's done that? That Adults, beware. It's not a rhetorical question. We're going to get the roving mic on. Anyone got any guesses as to why on earth Jesus, um, uh, sorry, not Jesus, Peter throws himself into the sea fully clothed? Anyone? Anyone? I'm hoping, actually, adults are scared stiff at this point. I'm hoping some of the kids are going to, going to bail us out. Why do you think Jesus throws himself, uh, sorry, Peter, I keep getting that muddled. Peter throws himself, there's a clue in that though. Uh, Peter <laughs> throws himself into the sea fully clothed. Anyone got any ideas? Why, why on earth would he do that? Why would you do that? If you put yourself in Peter's, Peter's shoes. Hang on. Yeah, 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 go on. 
Because he's so happy to see Jesus. He's so happy to see Jesus. Yes, brilliant. But I'm not going to let you off the hook there. Why is he so happy to see Jesus? Let's think, when was the last time that, that, that Peter had seen Jesus, had a chat with him? Can anyone remember that? Anyone think, when was the last time he had a chat? Yeah, could we go? Was it just before he died? Just before he died. And just before he died, what did Peter do? Do we know? He, he loose. He disobeyed him. Yeah, he denied even knowing him. Three times, Peter said, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. Yeah, this Jesus guy. I don't know him. No, 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 no. And it, that must have been going round. Wouldn't that go round and round your head all this time? You see Jesus risen from the dead twice, and you're going, oh my goodness, I can't face him. You know? <laughs> no. Well, that's what I would do, wouldn't I? I would go, wouldn't you? You've messed up big time. Betrayed the greatest guy in history. And you go, oh, jinx. Actually, I would be getting back in the boat and rowing as far away as possible. But Peter isn't. Why? Well, oh, actually, anyone here at the Holiday Club family service? Does this, this net full of fish and the empty net and the boat, does that remind anybody of anything? Any hands? No? Oh, gosh, this is actually harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, here's what... Here's what Here's what happens in Luke chapter 5. Years earlier, three years earlier, Peter and his chums, they're out fishing. They've been out fishing all night. And you know what? Guess they caught how much? Uh-uh, nothing. And then, oh, Jesus pitches up and he says, throw your nets on the other side. And huge catch of fish, loads and loads of fish, so much so they had to get another boat to get them in. And Peter, when he saw this, he just went, oh, he fell at his feet before Jesus. He said, oh, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus because of his sin, because of his failure. But Jesus said this to him. He said, do not be afraid. And so here in John 21, Peter doesn't, he doesn't do what we might do. He doesn't try to hide his sin. He doesn't wallow in it. He doesn't try and deal it with, with it himself as if he could. <laughs> no, instead, instead of running from Jesus, he runs to him, the most direct route he could get, thrashing around in the sea. <sighs> he just goes, I've got to get to Jesus because he knows now that with Jesus, there is nothing to fear. There is forgiveness for failures. You see, there is a good sort of guilt. We often hear, don't we, that, that, that feeling guilty is a bad thing. And, and, and often, actually, there is, a, there is false guilt out there. But some guilt is good if it drives you to Jesus. And for Simon Peter, it's, it's instinctive, like a moth attracted to the light. Peter is drawn to Jesus, the friend who forgives. And you have to see Jesus standing there. Can you, can you imagine him on the shore, watching all of this unfold? Do you not think Jesus' heart was bursting with joy as he saw his failure friend thrashing around in the water trying to get to him. Here comes my Peter. I've got love for him. I've got forgiveness for him. And Peter is standing there, <laughs> dripping wet in front of him. There's nothing impressive about him. <laughs> there's, there's, he's got nothing to offer. He doesn't come to Jesus with excuses. He just stands there in all his soggy messiness and sin and folks this is what it means to be a Christian 
Jesus, Jesus doesn't deal with our sin by bearing down on us and, and, and going after us to crucify us. No, Jesus was crucified himself to take our sin from us so we can stand in his presence and be free. We can have hope for failures who have completely blown it, who simply come before him and stand there and admit their sin. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those heartwarming videos where soldiers are coming back um, uh, from a tour of duty or, or, or folks in the Navy or wherever, um, and, and all the kind of crowds are gathered on, on the dock um, to welcome them home. They haven't seen them for so long. It's a really emotional kind of moment. You have to get your hankies out, actually. Don't, don't, don't watch it late at night when you're feeling kind of vulnerable. Um, but there's always one little kid in the crowd who just, just kind of breaks ranks, <laughs> breaks free of the crowd, and just goes, runs. Goes, and they just they sit like slightly go, I don't care. It's not, I'm not supposed to do this. I don't care that there's protocol, there's rules, whatever. I've just got to get to dad. That's how I imagine Peter here. There is nothing half-hearted or lukewarm in his response to Jesus, is it? Is there? This is unrestrained, desperate passion. Forget the fish, forget my dignity. I don't care how wet I get, I've just got to get to Jesus. And as I finish, can I just say that the greatest sinners, the greatest failures are usually those who are most passionate about following Jesus. And so if we find our love for Jesus cool and lukewarm this Easter, then perhaps we've lost sight of just how much we need him. Perhaps we've lost sight of our own failure, the, the depth of it, the way we've lived our lives for ourselves. And perhaps this Easter, Jesus is saying, will you pursue me like you once did? Will you chase me like Peter? Will you be, well, stop being a stick, I'm trying to do it all on your own. And come to me and draw life from me like a branch. Let me pray that for us now. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so we don't have to live as dead or dying sticks, but we can live as branches. Running to Christ, clinging to him, trusting him, relying on him for everything we need. And Father, we pray that even this morning we might see our own failure so we might run to him more quickly and readily, know his loving welcome and feed on him and be strengthened by him for all that lies ahead. We pray this in his name. Amen.